You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of your word, the truth of your word. Um, God, thank you for preserving your word all these years so that we could sit here today, hear from your word, come to a greater understanding of your word, and uh, ultimately, Father, um, be confronted with the work of your son Jesus at the cross um, and our sin and our need for you and the grace and the mercy with which you um, so generously lavish upon us. Uh, God, I pray, Father, as we, as we look at what it means to be grounded in your love, Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions, any hindrances, any worry, any doubt, any fear, any sin, anything that we walked in with this morning that would hinder us from hearing the life-giving words of your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would just come and speak truth to us, uh, that you would heal places uh, of woundedness in our hearts, and that you would... um, reveal places of sin and needed repentance in our hearts and that you would um, strengthen us in places where we are weak deep within our hearts, that you would so root and ground our hearts in your love. Lord God, that our lives would be like um, really tall buildings built on solid foundations that are able to weather any storm that uh, life throws against us. So Father, I pray that you would do that work. God, I pray that you would revive dead hearts this morning. I pray, Father, that you would give new life to people who are far from you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, encourage the brokenhearted. God, I believe that this is what you do. I admit, Father, that I am just a man, a really weak man, um, with a ton of brokenness inside of me. And I pray, Father, that you would use me in these moments, that you would use the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth to bring you honor and glory and to do good work inside of your people. Uh, So God, we we lay these requests before you, trusting that because you did leave the tomb empty, that this is a small thing for you to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so some days kind of feel like a whirlwind, right? Ever have one of those days where things just like flying by you at like warp speed? Kind of wondering, pew, what just happened, right? Um, ever have a week like that or a string of weeks like that or a month like that or a year or years like that where it just feels like things are happening at warp speed, like you're living in the midst of a whirlwind? When I think of the concept of a whirlwind, I am reminded of a tornado. Uh, my youngest daughter is blonde with blue eyes. Her name is Charity, and she can be much like a tornado. And there are some days where I am like, holy smokes, what just happened? But I'm actually reminded of a real tornado uh, years ago, um, 2004. My wife and kids and I were living near Crete, and uh, near Crete was a little town called Hallam. Hallam uh, had less than maybe 1,000 people in it. I remember Hallam really well because uh, in my uh, previous life, uh, I would go there and sing karaoke uh, all night long at this little bar on the street corner. And I'm not saying that in my present life I wouldn't still go sing karaoke at a bar. I'm just saying in my previous life that's what I did, and I wasn't good at it. And uh, 
Uh, I remember being at home, and, and Christy and the kids were gone, and I remember f- tracking the weather systems that night, and it was looking bad, standing outside in front of our farmhouse and watching this weather system roll through. And what happened that night, I went down to the basement because it got so bad. What happened that night is a, a uh, if I remember right, it was a two-and-a-half-mile-wide tornado. Imagine the immensity of that storm, the immensity of that whirlwind. Two-and-a-half-mile-wide tornado went right through Hallam. Less than 1,000 people absolutely destroyed it. It's a picture that you should have on the screen in front of you. It's probably pretty small, but you should have it on your handouts too. Uh, if you just Google this, uh, for years, this tornado that went through Hallam was the largest recorded tornado ever. Um, and it, it, uh, if I remember right, it, it, the path of this tornado um, traveled down about a 100-mile-long path, and it got to its widest at 2.5 miles wide um, when it hit Hallam. And uh, just absolutely destroyed it. Um, they, they, what, what buildings were still left standing afterwards, they came in and knocked over. They, it leveled the entire town. And then they rebuilt it over the course of the next few years. Um, in less than a few minutes, that town was completely destroyed, right? Homes that had been there for 100 plus years, destroyed in a matter of minutes. Family businesses that had been handed down from generation to generation uh, were destroyed in just a matter of few seconds. People's lives turned upside down a few moments. Ever have one of those days where it's like, shoot, <laughs> what happened? I was thinking about this as I uh, worked through some of my uh, daily devotions, some of my daily scripture readings this last week. I was coming to the end of Job. I love the book of Job. Um, as I was reading that, uh, I was thinking about how for Job, that's really what was happening in his, in his life, right? Uh, just a massive destructive tornado just ripping and tearing through his life. And uh, reading through that, I'm, I'm looking at the way he, he loses his kids. They all die, right? And his house gets flattened. His business is shot. And I'd like to think his marriage might have even been on the rocks because um, his, his wife was like, curse God and die. And Job is like, no, naked I come. Naked, I'll leave. God is God. And his friends, all of his friends turn on him, start blaming him for the mess that he's sitting in, right? He's questioning God over and over and over. I mean, his his body is covered in rotting sores. You just imagine this place. I mean, the beginning of Job is really interesting, too. The beginning of Job will really do something to your doctrine of God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering because he paints this picture, the author of Job paints this picture of God sitting in heaven on his throne. Satan comes into God's presence. Imagine that. Yeah, I see your buddy Job down there. Looks like a pretty righteous fella. He's always uh, worshiping you. I bet if I uh, hurt him a little bit, I bet he'll curse you. God's like, no, nope, don't think so. But why do you think God thought that? Why do you think God thought, no, this is okay. Like, go ahead and torment Job. I mean, he actually gives him permission. That's something to think about, too. God gives Satan permission to bring harm into someone's life who is a good guy, a good and godly guy. Why would God do that? It's questions I think we all ask when it comes to suffering. Um, it says, go ahead and do your thing. You can only do this. So he actually sets the parameters of how much suffering Satan can uh, inflict on Job. Uh, I think part of this is because God knows that he himself is the one who will give Job the strength. Because Job doesn't have it in him. Not one of us in this room that has it in us to make it through that kind of a day on our own, right? So I think that's part of the reason why. But at some point, 
in the story, you just see Job like reaching the end of his rope, I think. He's asking questions like, why am I suffering this way? What did I do to deserve this? Where are you, God? Like, uh, why are you withholding what I want so bad? Restore my life. Give me what I had back. Why am I in this place? Why do you do this to me? Do you really love me? I think these are questions that Job is basically asking. I'm paraphrasing broadly, but I, as I read Job, that's what I hear. And, and, and right into the middle of those questions, there, there's a spot towards the end of Job. Right in the middle of those questions, the author of the book says this. This, this. this caught my attention. And God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Huh. And God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Now we see God speaking in various different places throughout the scriptures, various different ways. Speaks through a donkey. Still does that today from a lot of pulpits. This one included. Spoke in various, but he speaks right out of the middle of the whirlwind. God spoke to Job in person out of the middle of that whirlwind. What kind of whirlwind did you walk in here this morning with? God wants to speak to you out of the middle of that whirlwind. What would that look like? What would that be like to experience that, to speak to God personally, to hear his voice authentically, legitimately, right? What would that be like in the midst of that fear, in the midst of that anxiety maybe? What would it be like to be so grounded, steadfast, stable, immovable in the love of Christ that in the midst of anything that the world throws at you, any wind, any storm, that in the midst of that, what you hear is God's voice, not the voice of some other lover calling you, but the voice of God calling you, the one who's loved you since before the foundations of the world, the one whose love is never-ending, It's absolutely perfect. What would it be like in the midst of all of your greatest temptations? What would it be like in the midst of your worst sin? What would it be like in the midst of your worst suffering to just have God speak to you out of the middle of that whirlwind? And for you to be in a place where you stood steadfast, grounded, strong, rooted in the love of Christ. My God loves me. I'm not moving. What would that be like? See, Paul, I think, knew what it was like to talk to God in the midst of a whirlwind. Okay? Paul faced suffering. Sometimes I think we think about the biblical authors and we think, man, those guys were superheroes. They are. Paul's one of my heroes of the Bible, for sure. For sure. I kind of like Samson, too, because he killed a bunch of dudes with a jawbone of a donkey. Paul, though, uh, faced a lot of suffering. He, he battled his own sin. And read, read, read Romans 7 sometime. Read Romans 7. You see this man wrestling with sin, like in agony, right? All the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. All the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep doing. Romans 8. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul writes those words. This is a man who knew what it's like to battle sin. 
to live a life that felt like he was in the midst of a whirlwind, wrestling with anxiety, struggling with worrying over the churches that he planted and the disciples that he made and the people that he preached the gospel to, faced death on multiple occasions, lost friends, faced down enemies. I mean, there's one guy that he names in a list of names where he's like, have nothing to do with that guy who used to be my friend because he did me great harm. Like, Paul names that guy. And prior to that, in other letters, he named that guy in a list of friends. But Paul faced pain. He'd been beaten with whips, beaten with rods because of his faith in Christ. Now, as he's writing Ephesians, now he's sitting in prison, right? Not a cush prison like ours with flat screen TVs and beds. Sitting in a pit in the ground where the waste of the day runs into. Gross place to be exposed to the elements for his faith. He's waiting for the executioner. He knows he's going to die. Like, What consumes a man to live that way? Why not just tap out? You know what? I'm crazy, okay? I smoked some dope last night, and I lost it. Just let me out of here. Like, Just confess that you're not a Christian, and you get away, right? That's all you got to do. Paul continues to hammer this message. I'm not giving up. I'm not turning back. That's where he's sitting at. Listen to how Paul prays. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work Within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Yes, what's Paul doing here? Paul's praying, right? He's praying on his knees. I see see a posture of a man who is desperate. Not a posture of a man who's like, oh, crap, I got to pray again, Right? It's a posture of a man who is desperate. Desperate for something to happen. When was the last time you felt desperate? And then let me ask you this. How did you feed that desperate feeling you had? When was the last time you felt desperate? And how did you medicate that desperate desire? Was it by going to the presence of God on your knees? Or did you go to some cheap substitute? Where did you go? Paul, in his desperate situation, is desperate not to just be released from these momentary circumstances that he's in. He's desperate that God would move in hearts and lives of the Ephesian believers. He's praying for them. He's praying in light of his knowledge. He knows what God has said about you and I. He knows who you and I are in Christ. He knows 
He's praying in light of that. Asking the Lord for a manifestation of true power. He's asking the Lord to settle down in their hearts. Settle their hearts down, Jesus. Take up residence in their hearts. Help them to be filled with you. Clear out the clutter. Settle down deep inside of them, into their desires, the things that they want so bad they can taste it. Settle there, Jesus, right? Settle down into their minds, their thinking, the things that they think all day, the the constant spinning wheels, thinking about how we can undo this or do that or get through this or accomplish that, right? Settle down into that and make it settle down. Settle down to their behaviors. Settle down into their behaviors. The things that they constantly do without even thinking about it. Settle that down. Slow that down. Make them more like you. Dwell, live, settle inside of that. It's Paul. That's how he's praying. He's asking the Father to root our hearts and ground our hearts in Christ's love, right? Root our hearts like big, tall trees so that the fruit of our life would look like Jesus. I mean, the other option is this. You can hang out in the tops of the tree limbs like monkeys, right? Jumping back and forth trying to pull out rotten fruit and throw it away and try to put good fruit in its place all by yourself. Have fun with that because guess what happens? You're you're just just managing your sin at that point. I don't want to manage sin. That doesn't sound like any fun at all. It doesn't. I don't want to manage sin. I don't want to get into just morality. I don't want to be spit-shined out of the outside and an absolute wreck on the inside, right? Like, that's what happens for those of us that just live in the externals. Like, I got to get my life right today, and I got to do this stuff right, I got to do that stuff right, and I got to hide all this other stuff that I'm doing wrong. Because the problem is, is that everything that you see up in that tree comes from something deep down inside of you. And the problem with that is this, it's really hard to want to go do that work because the fear inside of you, the insecurity inside of you, all of that's that's painful. And we don't like pain. We like quick fix. Get a Band-Aid on it, get out of here. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to leave that in the past. Just kind of forget about that. Here's the problem. When you do that, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And that's why you and I get stuck in these cycles. And what that means is we're not doing good work down in the root. That's why Paul prays, let them be rooted in Christ's love, right? Rooted in Christ's love. So the tree of our lives would produce godly fruit, good fruit. We hear him asking towards the end that the Spirit would ground us like tall buildings in the love of Christ. But what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What does that look like to be grounded like a tall building, the love of Christ. Last week when we looked at this, uh, we learned a couple of things, three things. We learned that if we've been grounded in the love of Christ, then we will build our lives on a solid foundation, not on sand. Okay? Solid foundation of Christ's love. We will praise and worship God on a daily basis. Just ask you about your rhythms. Okay? I think we asked this last week in gospel communities. Let me ask you about your rhythms, your daily rhythms of prayer and praise and scripture study, what do those daily rhythms look like? Why do they look that way? What kind of effect does that have on your life? 
What kind of effect does that have on your heart being grounded in the love of Christ? What would it look like to see you grow in those areas? What is God doing right now to maybe change those rhythms in your life so that those become important to you? praise and worship God on a daily basis, and I think we learned last week that we will be secure in God's presence if we are grounded like tall buildings in love of Christ, right? So that's kind of the summary from last week. I think I told you guys last week when I wrote this sermon, I wound up writing six points, and so I had two weeks of sermon written, so I put half of it away. Thank God we didn't do six points last week, right? So this week, this week, um, number one, Continuing to answer that question, what does it look like to be grounded like a tall building in the love of Christ? Number one, if you're grounded in the love of Christ, you'll stay focused on the hope of heaven. Uh, focus is hard for me. I don't know what it's like for you. I'm just always talking like squirrel, right? Like that's, that's what happens for me. Uh, it's hard for me to stay focused. There are so many different distractions to contend with. In life, not just when it comes to my spiritual life, but in life, period, there's always something to distract me. Um, For instance, as I was writing this sermon, um, two of my kids, I won't name them, uh, two of my kids, I started bickering in the front room over something. I think it was a video game, if I remember right. And uh, totally distracting. I mean, I office on my back porch. And so the whole house is open, and so it's easy to get distracted. They started bickering, so I had to press pause for a minute on sermon prep, get up, sit down with them, talk to them about what's going on, help them head in the right direction, right? Um, Just one example among many for me. Uh, I'm sure you all have your own, too, when it comes to distractions. Um, There's a ton of them, though, that can cause me to lose my focus, right? I get a call from a friend that um, is suffering somehow, and uh, I get distracted, from the love of Christ in that moment. I go into fix-it mode, right? I start asking 50 gazillion questions. Let me see how I can fix this for you. So stupid to think that I can fix anything anyways. Um, Financial reports. Anybody see your finances sometimes? You get totally distracted from the loving presence of Christ and go, ah! Give in to anxiety, worry, live the rest of your days like spiraling out of control. Like my finances, tough. Um, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so what you hear someone talk about, you know, is going on. Uh, it happens to me oftentimes. Simple thought, a simple thought maybe enters into my head, and I just start entertaining that thought, and uh, suddenly I get caught up in all of the things that that sin promises me, right? And I just kind of get caught up in that, and then suddenly it's like, whoa, I'm just over there, I'm over here, I just distracted What I need in those moments is to become grounded in the love of Christ as I stay focused on the hope of heaven, right? Paul describes this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. This is one of my favorite passages of all times. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you are grounded in the love of Christ, you will stay focused on the hope of heaven. So you and I, according to this passage, we share in the resurrection of Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, then you share in that resurrection. Death no longer has a hold on you. You're alive. You share in Christ's victory over Satan, sin, and the grave. Satan, sin, and the grave, death, they hold no power over you. You think about Christ, right, in this passage. He is firmly, securely seated next to the Father. He is an anchor. He's immovable. Therefore, what you and I share is that same presence with the Father. That's what you have access to. It's, here's the problem. I think for us as Christians, I mean, I, for me, for sure, I, like, I think that sometimes I just I walk around believing that I've got like 100 bucks in the bank. But in reality, there's billions and trillions, an uncountable amount of money in my bank. Like, you, if you knew that about me, if you knew that I had just unexhaustible, un, 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 uncountable money in my bank, but I was walking around with my head down like I'm so broke. I, I just don't, I just, I, I can't do anything. I, I, you know, I, I can't get a new car and I, I can't really get to work. And, and if you saw my life that way and you knew what was in my bank account, you'd be like, hey, wake up, right? Wouldn't you? Like you have it all. That, that's what Paul's saying. We walk around thinking we got a hundred bucks in the bank, and the reality is we have Christ in our bank. We have Him. We get our eyes on earthly things. Man, I want this. I want that. Jesus is up there. We're like, I want this and I want that. And, oh, I wish I had this. And oh, that sucked. And oh, this was terrible. And Paul's like, Hey, would you just like lift up? Oh. Right? That, that's what Paul's doing in this passage. Get your mind off of earthly things. Get your eyes on Jesus who is eternal and steadfast and immovable. See, if your eyes are locked on the object of your faith who is actually immovable, guess what's going to happen in your life? You'll be grounded in the love of Christ and therefore you'll be immovable. You throw whatever you want at me, I'm not moving. That's the life you'll live. And you're dead to your sin. You're hidden from the power of Satan, sin, and the grave. When Christ returns in glory, you will be completely perfected once and for all. Even though you stumble, right? Even though you fall, even though you struggle with temptation, even though you slug your way through difficult days filled with suffering and pain and hurt and fear, anxiety, all those things, you're going you're to struggle with those things. What's going to happen is if, if your heart is firmly, steadfastly, rooted, grounded, built, established in the love of Christ, you will stand firm because your eyes are locked on the hope of heaven, not on the hope of anything on this earth. Locked on heaven, Jesus. There's no plane from any terrorist. No whirlwind of a day, no tornado, no arrow of the enemy, no sin that so easily entangles will move your attention or your hope from the hope of heaven for very long. It won't. 
Spirit will continue to bring your eyes back to Christ. You have the Spirit of God inside of you if you are a believer. If you're here and you're not a believer, you don't have that. You have none of this. That's a scary place to be. And if you've trusted in Christ, with the Spirit of God inside of you, speaking truth to you, counseling you, comforting you, reminding you that this life is not all there is to this existence. The building of your life will remain established because the foundation that you are built upon is what? The love of Christ. The never-ending, almost unexplainable, immovable love of Christ. Sacrificial, unconditional love of Christ. Number two, if you're grounded in love of Christ, you have the assurance that God will finish what he started in you. It's another favorite passage of mine that we're going to look at in a minute. If you're grounded in the love of Christ, you have the assurance that God will finish what he started in you. I have a friend. I have a friend that uh, loves to start new projects. Almost as often as I change my clothes. That's probably an exaggeration. Yeah. They're awesome projects. They're really good projects. They're creative. They're fun. They look good. Um, when those projects get completed, they're freaking awesome, right? Great. Um, the finished product is always amazing because the creator behind that product does a great job. Sometimes, though, because of a lack of resources, could be money, could be time, maybe lack of interest. Maybe interest just kind of runs out, right? Uh, sometimes those projects don't get finished. Anybody, anybody here do that? Start a project, get sidetracked, we're out of money, we're out of resources, whatever, put it away, get into something else. Pretty soon you had a whole garage full of projects that aren't completed yet. All these incomplete projects, right? That's us as humans. That's what we do. Um, do you ever feel this way about God? Maybe, maybe God has better projects to work on. Maybe he doesn't want to spend the resources on you. You're not worth the resources, maybe. Start living in despair. Start trying to find other ways to feel like you're valuable, right? Maybe God doesn't want to spend the time on you anymore. It's just different ways that we might think about God. Paul addresses this in Philippians 1.6. Probably should be a tattoo someday. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. Catch that. Sure of this. Paul is sure of this. What, what does sure mean? It means sure. I'm sure of this. <laughs> I'm certain of this. I am assured of this, right? I'm, I'm not insecure about this. I'm sure of this. I feel like I'm belaboring a point, but I am. Why? Because this passage has given me such great assurance. What is assurance? Certainty. A lot of things in this world that we are uncertain of. I do not know what's going to happen in the next moment. I'd sure like to because I'm a control freak. I'd like to know. One of the things that drives me crazy is when things don't get in a straight line. Last week, my pulpit was over here. And I'm looking at the center line. I'm like, oh, my gosh, God, please. It's driving me nuts, right? It's a control freak thing for me. I don't know what's going to happen next. Not one of us does. We don't have that. But one thing we do have assurance in is this. God finish, finishes what he starts. 
I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began, wait, he who, who started the good work? Who started the good work inside of you, you or me or him? Well, it was, it was him who started the good work inside of you. When did that good work start? Let me ask that. Think about this. When you prayed a prayer? Is that when the work started? Think about those. I am sure of this. He who began a good work, what kind of work? A good work, not a bad work, right? He who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, who's Paul talking to in Philippians? He's talking to Christians, people who have professed faith in Christ. He's saying, if you are a believer, here's what you can have assurance of. God will complete you. You'll get done. There's no getting undone from this point forward. I am sure that God will complete this. Paul didn't walk around with an insecure feeling like, oh man, I don't know if I'm in God's graces today or not. That's not Paul. Paul's like, man, I know. I know that I belong to him and nothing can change that. Love that about Paul. Paul didn't believe that God began little side projects in his kingdom only to let them go to waste. I mean, why would we preach anything different why would we preach anything different anyways? God doesn't start little side projects and then like, yeah, I'm done with you. You sin too much. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, you know what? My other kids over there, they're much cooler than you, so off to the side of the garage you go. I need a straighter piece of wood. Drop my hammer. That piece of wood can go over there. I'm going to go find a different piece of wood. But God seems to love to take crooked sticks and draw straight lines. Right? See, it's, the problem is what we're doing, when we, what we do when we teach differently from the Bible is what we're doing is we're, we're, we're preaching and teaching our own logic. That's what happens when we preach something differently from this passage. Paul was assured that God would complete the work inside of those who are his. It's a good work he began in you. Right? You're not a mistaken work. Not God's side project. You're not forgotten. You're not frustrating. You're a good work that God began. God doesn't make mistakes, does He? Doesn't do things halfway. God did not waste His Son's blood at the cross. Not one drop was wasted. Every drop of Christ's blood at the cross will accomplish the completion that Jesus said it is finished for. Otherwise, Jesus would have hung, hung there and said, well, I'll pour it out of my blood. I don't think it's quite finished yet. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. Everything that Jesus was accomplishing at the cross was accomplished there and then will be completely accomplished. God completes the good work he begins. Man, your, your sin doesn't derail God's good work. We've got to get us past this. This has infected the Christian church, that somehow my sin derails God's good work. Don't hear me wrong. Sin broke creation, for sure, for sure. Once you become a believer, where is your sin? Where is your sin if you're a believer? Somebody tell me, where's that? It's, in, it's on Christ, right? It's on Christ. Past, present, future, gone. Wiped away. When you step into God's presence, you don't have your sin on you. You're clothed in brand new clothing. White robes of righteousness. You're clothed in Christ. You are new creation. What does that mean? 
You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone away. The new has come. So who are you then? Who are you when you step into God's presence? Do you have the assurance that God will complete in you what he began, the good work? Your imperfections don't bring his good work to a stop. Your failures don't cause God to give up and walk away. He doesn't drop his hammer, like I said earlier, to go find a straighter piece of wood. Doesn't pack his tool bags. Doesn't leave for a new job site. He goes to town on you. He chose you. He filled him, you with himself. God completes the good work that he begins in you. If you are grounded in the love of Christ, you have the assurance that God will finish what he started. That's the assurance you have if you're a believer. Listen, if you're here and you don't have that assurance, stop here, leave this place when you leave, and start begging God to give you that assurance. Because from this point forward, if you don't have that assurance, here's what you're going to do. You're going to work to earn it. If you and I don't start living out of a place of his unconditional, never-ending love deep down inside of our hearts, the foundation of our lives will be built on something false. I don't want that. I don't want your lives to be built on lies. To be built on the truth. God's word is faithful and true. His love is never-ending. You can't earn it. So if you're here and you're not quite sure, and am I a Christian today? Did I lose it yesterday because I sinned that way? If you're walking here feeling unassured because of that, go to God. Beg him. Beg him. Ask him. And if you're his, he'll give you that assurance. There'll be no place of pride there. No place of pride. It'll be a deep assurance that causes your life to stand firm in the face of temptation and sin and suffering and facing all of your disappointments and all the things that you didn't want or that you did want and yada, 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 right? You'll stand firm. You'll be rooted, grounded on the love of Christ. Number three, if you're grounded in the love of Christ, you can be assured once again that you are built to last. If you're grounded in the love of Christ, you can be assured that you are built to last. See, when, <clears throat> what about you? When I go to the store to go shopping, buy something, I always get torn between two different ends of the pendulum swing. Sure, you might be in the same place with me. Sometimes I get torn between the cheapest version of what I want and the name brand version of what I want. I never know when it's okay to skimp on a purchase, right? It's just, it's hard because we know that you get what you pay for, right? You know that, so, you know, you buy something a little bit cheaper, it's not going to last as long. <laughs> putting a tire on my motorcycle right now, and I can either put a 5,000-mile uh, tire on it for 200 and, or I can put a 10,000-mile tire on it for, like, 350 and It's like, man, uh, how much am I going to ride it? And I'm, like, weighing all these options, right? Does it save me a little money now? <laughs> When we bought our home, for any of you that bought a home, there's a few that are getting ready to buy a home. Um, when you buy a home, um, it can be a tough decision. You, know, you don't want to skimp on the purchase, right? Like I know when, when we bought our home, I, I didn't want to skimp on this thing. Uh, I'm asking questions like, is the house in good shape? It's been taken care of. Um, did the people in front of us make wise investments in that house? Um, did they build it to last? That's the question I'm asking. Right? 
in my mind, like this home is going to be our family's home for many years to come. We're going to live, we're going to dwell inside this home for a long time because we're poor, we're not wealthy, and we're going to stay there for a long time. That's all there is to it. And I want it to last, and to be built well. The Bible teaches us that we are the home of God. We are the household of God. We are God's home. He dwells in us. Not just in this physical place. Oftentimes we think the church is just a building. It's not. It's people that God lives in, and each of us are little living stones fit into the walls of that house. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think, do you really believe deep down inside that God, like, grabs a person and is like, hey, you know what, I think that Seth, I'm going to pick on Seth again, I think that Seth would look really good right here in this portion of the wall. It's perfect. You're good. I love you. And then go over here and start working on the other side of the wall and be like, man, I think I'm going to put Andrew over here, this part of the wall, as I'm building my home so that I can live inside of that, so that I can then manifest myself to the entire world. And then suddenly in the middle of that, he's like, man, but that Seth guy, he's like crumbling up a little bit. I don't like that guy. Let me get a hammer and just bust him out of there, right? You're done. You're out. And it's not a picture of what we see God doing when he builds his house, okay? It's not the picture we see throughout Scripture. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Hopefully you notice over the last four weeks, I think, that we've been doing this, what we've done is we've taken a big panoramic view all throughout the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and then came back to Ephesians and seated ourselves there once again so that you could see a big, broad context, a theology, if you will, of God's love deep inside of us, a theology of God dwelling inside of us so that you know it's not just this one place. It's all over the Scriptures. God's Word was written so that you and I would be rooted and grounded in His love. Ephesians 2, look at it. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What is that? The word for us. Built on the foundation of God's word, apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, in him, you also are being what? Built together into a dwelling place for God by what? By the Spirit. You can't get around what Paul says here. You can ignore it, but you can't get around it. If you are grounded in love of Christ, you can be assured that you are built to last. You are not a stranger to God. You are not alienated from him like someone from a foreign country. You have papers. Listen, you have papers of citizenship. You belong in the family if you're following Christ. If you're not following Christ, you don't have that. And the hope and the prayer is the Spirit of God would speak to you this morning if that's you and that he would bring you to a place where you would trust in Christ, right? If you trusted in Christ, you have Papers of citizenship in the kingdom of God that have been signed in what? Did you sign that with your sinner's prayer? Because that can be erased. But if it's been signed in the blood of Christ, that can't be erased. I'm not warring against these things because I just think it's a great argument to make. I'm warring against those things because it's biblical. You can have the assurance that you are built to last because of what the Bible says. It's true. 
God's signature on your adoption papers. He didn't adopt you out of the house of sin and Satan and the grave to go, oh, man, Patrick, you were a bad adoption. I'm giving you back. Get, right? He's not doing that. That's not the way God is. We think of him any differently and we project ourselves onto God. That's the problem is we've created a God in our own image rather than understanding that God has created us in his image. God is who he says he is, merciful, kind, and guess what else? Just and loving. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. This is just the truth of what God's word says. You are a saint who has been perfected by the work of the cross. Your perfection has been completed. It is finished price has been paid. You will persevere as a saint. You are built to last if you've trusted in Christ, if you're truly grounded in love of Christ. You are a member of God's family. Your membership has been paid in full. You didn't pay part of it, and then he paid the other part to get you there. It wasn't like God was standing back going, okay, I know you want to get into the kingdom. I know you're like a fellow seeker, right? Like, like I gave you a little bit of my spirit so that you could seek me some. And so you just, you make it as close as you can get. When you decide to give up, I'll come and rescue you, right? And that's not the picture. <laughs> the picture is we couldn't get up the step. The picture is not that we're floating around in the ocean, like waiting for the life raft to get thrown to us. The picture is you're dead at the bottom of the sea, and you've got to be picked up out of it by the Spirit of God. That's the picture. If you're here and you haven't trusted in Christ, you're dead at the bottom of the sea. That's your eternal destiny. God, by the power of his word, could be speaking to you and saying, hey, wake up. Wake up. Let me fill you with myself. Save you for all of eternity, right? Persevere in that. Your membership will not expire or run out because your name, your word is not on that. It's God's word. Not signed in your blood, it's signed in his blood. The word of God, which is perfect, lasting, true, it's building you into a home of God with other believers. Love of Christ is the everlasting glue that holds you together. See, he's the chief cornerstone. Not one brick in the home of God will be lost, replaced, or left undone. Promises of God are right and true, and they don't depend on you. Think about the promises of God. If you think any differently about these doctrines and about what the Bible says, then the promises of God depend on you if you think differently. But according to the scriptures, the promises of God don't depend on you and I. They depend on God to follow through. And he will because he's faithful and righteous and true. Therefore, I can have assurance, security, security, not pride, not arrogance, security in who God is and what he says is true. One of my favorite songs (laughs) is the old hymn, called In Christ Alone. I believe we're doing this song today. Again? Okay, all right. Steph is looking at me like, why are you looking at me? She gets really nervous when I do things like that. In Christ Alone, one of my favorite hymns of all time. Um, I think the words of that song describe the truths of Ephesians 3.17 really well. Listen to these words. I'm not going to sing it, but listen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, didn't we just talk about that? This cornerstone. This solid ground, grounded in the love of Christ. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Standing. 
what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. That's assurance. My comfort. How would you find comfort in a God who changes his mind every day? My comfort. My all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. This is a doctrine that a lot of Christians are tearing to shreds today. God could never do that to his son. That's child abuse. Read the scriptures again. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day. I love singing this song in conferences because you know what happens when we hit that point in the song? The place goes crazy. Goes crazy when we sing that part. People are yelling, screaming, hollering, swinging from the chandeliers. I mean, it's crazy. It's not Pentecostal. It's just like, the tomb is empty, right? He rose on the third day. You and I have that same hope of heaven. That's what happens inside of Christians whose hearts are grounded in the love of Christ. Up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, listen, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Either that song that we sing in worship is true, or it's not. Either sin's curse has a grip on you, and when you walk out here, you better be afraid because you may not be in God's good, 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 good graces anymore, right? Or, or he died and sin's curse doesn't hold you anymore. And you can rest assured in that. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his. Do you belong to him? And he is mine. Does he belong to you? Do you belong to one another? Are you united together? Have you been bought, as he says next, with the precious blood of Christ? If you've been bought, he ain't taking you back for a refund. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I don't command my destiny. Jesus commands my destiny. Because this is where you're headed, and I'm taking you there. Some days you don't like it, but we're going there because I'm your loving father, right? Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And with some words that we don't sing in our version, all other ground is shaking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It ties so beautifully with this passage. Grounded in the love of Christ. Is that you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for this passage. And uh, God, I pray that you would um, take this passage, take this sermon, remove anything that was me, um, preserve what was you. Challenge our hearts, Lord God, I pray, and uh, help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.